So let's start with a question um, just to kind of think about. Have you ever stopped and really sat there and thought about and pondered how amazing the church actually is? Like, have you ever really thought through the, the mystery and the wonder and, again, the awesomeness of the church? And, and what I want you to think about for a moment is when I ask that question, I'm not asking about how awesome Blessed Hope Community Church is. Right? Sometimes we hear like how great the church is, and, and the first thing we want, we want to start listening, like why is our church you know, great? Like what do we do that we like and all that? I'm talking about the, the very creation of the church. When you stop and think about the church, the universal church that God has created, how he has taken people from all different walks of life, from all different experiences, from all different cultures, from all different uh, economic statuses, from every, you just think about the diversity of the church. And, and, he, and he brings us all together and he unites us into one. Right? In the past, I've talked about, you know, Celebrate Recovery. And, and one of the things that I always appreciate about Celebrate Recovery is uh, when, you, when you go to a, a special, like a, a, a Celebrate Recovery event, like a training that they've had, we've gone to a couple of them, where like there's just hundreds of people from Celebrate Recovery there. And they have a terminology that they use, and, and, and it's really amazing because they'll refer to their Celebrate Recovery, uh, they, they use the term forever family, right? This idea that we have family, we have physical family, we have family that are, are blood, you know, or, or that we're born into, or that we're connected through marriage and all those things. And those families are great, and they're wonderful and awesome. But, but the reality is, the church, when you really stop and think about the mystery of the church, is the church is your forever family, right? The church is the eternal family. And, and yes, we should all desire and hope that our physical families are followers of Jesus and we want them to be part of our forever family, but just the amazing mystery that is the church. And then to add to that, to add to the mystery of the church, God taking all of, the, all of us that are so different and bringing us together as one, the other amazing mystery about the church, when you really stop to think about it, is the church is the community that God has given to us, given to us, in order for us to truly live out the life of Jesus Christ. Let me explain by what, what I mean by that. It's within the church that God gives us the ability and the atmosphere, and the place, and the opportunities. This is the place that God gives us to live out grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness with one another. See, the church, we like to, these are words that we, we, we love to proclaim love in the church. We talk about love all the time. The church is the community that God has given to us to actually live out a life of love. We are called to love one another. We talk about grace, but the church, again, is the place. These are the people that God has given to us in order for us to live out a life of grace. He's given us one another to live out a life of mercy and a life of forgiveness. Why is all of this important? Because when we think about church hurts, we've been talking about wounds. This is the series we're in. While I would love to say that wounds, I wish wounds would never happen, I wish that hurts would never happen in the church, can we also agree that when wounds do happen in the church, 
it provides an amazing opportunity for God to glorify himself in our midst. Here's why. When we wound one another, when we are hurt in the church, when things happen and disagreements come up and, and, and even fighting comes up in the church and, and, and hurt feelings or whatever is done, God has given us an opportunity not just to speak about grace, but an opportunity to actually show grace. In the midst of wounds, God has not just given us the opportunity to speak about love, but he's given us the opportunity to actually show love. The same with forgiveness. We are people that proclaim these things to the world, but we also have to accept that God is calling us to live them out inside of the church. Unfortunately, I think we have to understand this. Sometimes we cannot do a very good job of proclaiming the gospel in the world if we're not doing a good job of living the gospel in the church. I've been in churches that have experienced this. The churches that, that have the desire, to, that they, they like to talk about our mission, they like to talk about our calling to go reach the world for Jesus, but they have a reputation in the community as being a church that's always at war with one another. They're always wounding one another. They're always hurting one another. There's division I remember very vividly when I was in Missouri, uh, one person actually said to me once, we were talking about how we needed to grow the church, not just in numbers, but we were talking, how do we need to change the church? How, what's the vision for us to change so that we can able to be uh, what God calls us to be? And this person flat out said, one of, the, one of them in leadership said, I will never invite someone I know to this church. It's like, Why? Because of all the wounds that I've experienced, I would never bring somebody into this. And how unfortunate it is that, here's the thing, wounds in the church are always going to happen. We talked about that last week. I would love to say they would never not happen. They're, not, they're never going to stop. But we also have to understand that this is a beautiful opportunity. The wounds that happen in the church are a beautiful opportunity for us to truly live out the gospel with one another and for one another. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how we are called to live out the gospel in our midst, in our church, when it comes to hurts and wounds that we might experience. So we're going to jump into Ephesians. Uh, if you, someone that likes to follow along, I'm going to jump through a, a few things. But we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to kind of process through a little bit of Ephesians 5 as kind of a foundation before we get into some actively, like some things we can actively do to live out the gospel with one another when it comes to wounds. But let's track with a train of thought that Paul has. Notice what Paul says at the end of chapter 4. He's talking about the church. This is what he's talking about here. Uh, Ephesians is an amazing book. If you've never really studied Ephesians, uh, chapters 1 through 3 give you a foundation of who you are as a believer. It talks about your identity in Christ. It talks about like kind of your individual faith and who you are and what Jesus has done for you and what it means. And then the rest of the, the letter, Paul talks about the church. Chapters 4, 5, and 6, he talks about this is what the church is then. This is you as an individual and your faith, and then this is what it means as the church. And at the end of chapter 4, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Piggybacking on last week, we see again, here's this expectation, this calling to us in the church, that we are called to be kind and compassionate to one another. 
So first, let us say this. A lot of what we've been talking about in this series is how we respond to when someone hurts us. And that's, again, what we're going to talk about today. Because remember, the only thing that we can control in life is us. I can't control what you do to me. Right? You can't control what I do to you. The only control I have is myself, so that's why we're going to focus on that when it comes to church hurts. What do we, uh, or what can we do when it comes to these wounds and these hurts? But I just want to say this real, 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 real quick. <laughs> if you're a person that falls into the temptation to hurt in the church, um, you're a person that sometimes causes wounds in the church, whether intentionally or unintentionally, um, you need to listen to what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, stop it. Be kind and compassionate. Uh, some of us maybe struggle with being kind and compassionate in the church. Instead, we like to be judgmental and opinionated. <laughs> right? Um, there's nothing wrong with sharing your points of view, and there's nothing wrong with those kinds of things. But, but Paul is calling us to something here. He's saying, be kind and compassionate to one another. And we all have to listen to that. So while we're going to talk about how we respond to wounds, let's also say in this series that we need to make sure we always do the best we can not to intentionally hurt one another. Right? To, to make a point out of being kind and compassionate with one another. But then what Paul is also saying here is he's saying be kind and compassionate to one another and he ties it to forgiving one another. So he's also challenging us, if you've been hurt by someone, if you are ever wounded by someone, whether in the church or outside of the church, he's saying be kind and compassionate to that person. Show kindness and compassion to the people that hurt us, forgiving each other. And notice that he ties it back to whether, he doesn't tie it back to whether or not the person deserves that forgiveness. He ties it back to the fact that Christ forgave you. Why do we forgive? Why do we show kindness and compassion? Because God showed kindness and compassion to us. And he ties it back to that. Now, this is kind of the groundwork because the next, thing, the next thing that Paul says, notice in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear, dear children. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So, here's the thing. Paul says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgive one another, and then he ups it by saying, now, imitate God. That's, that's the expectation of a Christian. If you are here today and you've put your faith in Jesus, if you're watching and you put your faith in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, the expectation upon you and upon me is to imitate God in everything we do. Now think about this for a moment. Imitation. I like to do this to my daughter. Libby's the one that gets a little frustrated, um, you know, because she likes to imitate me from time to time. She'll, she'll get that little smirk on her face because she thinks she's funny. So then I like to see how far I can go. So I start doing really stupid things to see if she'll actually imitate me. You know, the fun is when they start imitating what you say. So then I'll say things to see if she'll actually say it the same way I said it. It's just fun back and forth. But this is ultimately what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, whatever you see God doing... However you see God acting, that's what you do. Exactly what you do. 
Like we don't find ways to go less or halfway. It's saying if God does it, then we do it in everything that we do. Now let's understand this just for a moment, this word uh, imitate. If you understood the, the, um, uh, the, the original language here that's being used, the meaning of this says it's, it's kind of a twofold imitation. It, it, Paul's saying imitate God not just in what you do, but in who you are. It's a word that talks about identity. It talks about your being. Like, be like God in your identity. Who you are, imitate God. Not only that, the meaning of the word is be like God, but then also when it talks about doing things like God, it's saying continually. This word is a meaning of continually. Meaning you constantly, we constantly imitate God. There's never a time where we can check out and say, nope, I don't want to do that one. I don't want to be like God in that case. Uh, I, I found reasons or excuses that exempt me. No, Paul is saying, be like God in your identity and continually be like God in your actions in everything that you do. Why? Because you are his dear children. And he goes back to basing this. This expectation is not based on us. It's actually based on Jesus. Because he loved us and he offered himself as a pleasing aroma to God. Now before we move on, I want to give you two thoughts just to kind of think about. Have you ever stopped to think about this amazing truth? That when you and I choose to imitate God... When we choose to imitate God, your life is a pleasing aroma to God in the same way Jesus' life was. As Jesus followed the will of the Father and sacrificed himself for us, his life was a pleasing aroma. And in the same way, your life is a pleasing aroma to God when we choose to follow his command to imitate him in who we are and what we do. The other truth I want to give you before we move on is this. Some of us might get overwhelmed at this idea of imitating God. That's a big calling to imitate God because the first thing you're going to say is the first thing I'm probably going to say is, but I'm not God. Hear me on this truth because it's so extremely important. Many times we will focus on the ways that we think we can't be like God because we haven't accepted yet our new identity with God. Right? We focus on all the ways we're going to fail that we can't do something. Like, I can't do that. I'm not God. I can't be like that because I'm not God. The problem is, is we haven't fully accepted yet the identity that we have in God. Christ. That's why Paul tells us to imitate God first in our identity, who you are. You have to understand who you are in Jesus. You have to understand the new creation that you are in Jesus. You have to understand that you have been sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit of God in Jesus. Your identity then produces your ability to imitate God in what you do. 
We like to reverse it, though. We make it more about what we do, and we don't focus on who we are. And again, Paul is laying the groundwork. He's saying, listen, your identity allows you to imitate God. He goes on throughout the rest of chapter 5, and he kind of reinforces this. We'll skip ahead a little bit, but notice what he says in verse 8. He goes back to that identity. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Paul's going back to the identity. He's saying, listen, imitate God, and you're going to do this because you have gone from darkness to light. And and I love his terminology here because he's actually talking about, again, identity. He's talking about being. Paul did not say, for you were once in darkness. No, he says, you actually were darkness. This was our identity. Our identity was darkness. But now in Jesus, our identity is light. So Paul, again, is reinforcing this. You can be someone that imitates God in everything that you do because your identity has changed. And then he ends chapter 5 with a very important uh, statement that we can run over sometimes too quickly. And he ends it in verse 21 and he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want us to follow this train of thought as we prepare to go through some uh, more specific steps on how we can live the gospel out with one another. Because I want us to understand that we're called to be kind and compassionate. We're called to forgive. We're called to be those that imitate God in everything that we do because our identity has gone from darkness to light. And now because of God bringing us together in the church, we are called to submit to one another. Submit to one another. There's this beautiful imagery there of God binding us together in mutual submission to one another. And and this is that beautiful mystery of the church that we are called to be this, to, to show kindness and love and mercy and grace. So I go back to what I said before is, okay, if we're, if we're supposed to imitate God, how do we imitate God when it comes to wounds? When hurts happen, how do we imitate God? And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at some different things from Jesus' life that's going to show us how we respond in the church to live out the gospel with one another when church hurts happen, when wounds happen. Now, I want to say this. Everything we're going to look at, except for the first one, uh, the first one's a little bit more definitely church-specific, but all of these that we're going to look at are actually, this is what we should do as Christians when any church or any wound comes against us. If you are hurt in any relationship, this is what we're called to. But most importantly, we're called to this in the church, and we're going to look at what Jesus shows us from his life. So here's the first thing I want us to understand uh, this morning as we process through this when it comes to church hurts. Um, Sometimes wounds are necessary in the church. Sometimes wounds have to happen. Now, Now here's the thing. There's many times wounds don't need to happen, but there are specific times in the church that, that wounds will happen and they actually have to happen. Let me explain this. Hebrews tells us this. It says, uh, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. 
It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. In Hebrews, the, the, the author is talking about the discipline from God. And, and can I encourage us to uh, understand it from this perception? When, many times when God disciplines his children, that discipline will actually come through other people in the church. Right? Discipline does happen in the church. We are called to discipline one another. One of the words that we use to talk about discipline, though, in the church is we usually don't use the word discipline when we talk about things like accountability. Accountability is we, as the church, have given each other... Hear me, just, let me stop. Hear what I'm about to say. Being part of the church, we have given each other the permission... To stick our noses in each other's business when it comes to our faith. Right? Because we're united together. Our faith is bonded together. See, we've created this mentality, this idea that my faith is private. It's my business. It's nobody else's business. And and if I want to do things that go against God, that's my business. That's my prerogative. I can do whatever I want. Yes, you can. But that still doesn't mean that the church is not going to hold you accountable. If a person in the church is causing hurts or they're causing a breakdown in unity or a person is going around sharing things that are not true or false teachings of any kind, it is the responsibility of the church to bring discipline upon that person. Because the we are, we are called to protect each other. We're called to protect the church. This isn't just a leadership thing. You and I, here's the thing. When I became a member of any church, when I become a member of a church, you become a member of a church. The covenant relationship that we just entered into is you have every right to hold me accountable in my faith. You have every right to hold me accountable. I have every right, and it has nothing to do with being a pastor or being a staff or anything like that, an elder. As a fellow member of a church that we're bonded together, you've given me the right to speak into your faith, to challenge where you're at. If I see or, or God leads me to say, David, that's not good where they're at, you need to hold them accountable, then I've been given that right because we've decided to be united as the church. See, but here's the thing about accountability and here's the thing about discipline. We don't like it. I don't like it. Whenever somebody holds me accountable, I don't like it. When I've been disciplined by the church at different times, I don't like it. My first response is to get angry, to get defensive, to be hurt by it, to say, what do you mean? You have no right to say this to me. And I want to harbor a wound. Let's look at the life of Jesus for a moment. There's this moment where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he looks at Peter, and he says these words. He says, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Can I ask us the question? I'm pretty sure, I believe this probably wounded Peter. I don't know about you, but if Jesus looked at me in the face and said, get behind me, Satan, I'd feel pretty bad. But, but notice what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Peter, 
I'm disciplining you. Because you don't have in mind the things of God. No, you have in things in mind human concerns. You've made, what he's saying is, Peter, you've made it about you. And you haven't made it about me. Peter, you're more focused on what you think is best, and you don't have your mind on the heart of the kingdom. You don't have your heart and your mind and your focus on the things of God. No, you're more concerned with the things of man. And this is when discipline comes from the church. We challenge one another to say, hey, are you focused more on worldly things? Are you focused more on uh, human things? Or are you focused and committed to the kingdom? The things of God. These are the things that we usually get frustrated with. Like, don't, don't challenge me. Don't, don't question me. Don't be judging to me. But Jesus even did it. Jesus disciplines those he loves. Jesus disciplined those he cares about. And that's what I want us to understand for a moment is that sometimes wounds happen in the church for the right reasons. Because here's the thing we have to understand, we have to remember this, when we start to step away from what God wants from us, when we start getting tempted to move away from what God desires in our lives, our hearts, whether we realize it or not, when we begin to step away, even if it's small steps, our hearts start to become hardened. Because we're moving away from that tenderness that's only found in intimacy with Jesus. If we're taking a step in the wrong direction, our hearts start to become hardened. And here's why these wounds happen. Because discipline in the church, accountability in the church, is the sword that pierces us in that hard place. And that's never going to feel good. That's never going to feel good. But it's necessary Because go back to Hebrews and realize this. When discipline, when a wound of discipline happens and it pierces us and it causes that wound, that wound has the ability to reap in us a glory that we have never experienced before if we let it. But usually what happens is the, 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 our enemy comes in there, our, our flesh comes in there, and it makes us, instead of responding to that wound in the right way, we sink back and we start festering in that wound in the wrong way. So the very wound that was meant to drive us closer to Jesus actually becomes a wound that pulls us away because we've let it festered and let it, instead of letting it accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. So let me give you three questions, and then we're going to jump into the next three. Let me give you three questions I ask myself when it comes to discipline or accountability that I've experienced in the church. Here's the three questions. If I've been wounded by discipline, I ask these three questions. Is the accountability or is the discipline, is it biblical? Meaning, can I trace it back and see biblically where they're coming from? Right? So, so if I'm doing something and I'm held accountable to it that's wrong and I can trace it back, is it biblical? The second question I ask is, does it bring glory to God? Meaning, if I change the behavior the way I'm being disciplined or the way I'm being held accountable, does it bring more glory to God? Right? Does it make me decrease and does it make him increase? The last question I'll ask is, does it produce holiness? Meaning, does it transform me more into the image of Jesus? 
right? Am I becoming more like the person that Jesus has created me, created me to, be, to be? But notice there I put two things, individually and corporately, because I asked the question in two, two ways. As an individual, is it helping me to become more, more like Jesus? But also the question of discipline sometimes and the question of accountability, also we, has to, we have to ask, does it help the church corporately become more like Jesus? Right? Is it corporately helping to produce holiness in the church? Those are three questions I ask myself whenever I'm held accountable to something or if someone has to discipline me. Is it biblical? Does it bring glory to God? And does it produce holiness? If the answer to that is all yes, then even if the wound hurts, I have to accept the wound. I have to accept the discipline. Because the desire should always be to follow the word of God, to always bring glory to God, and to always pursue holiness. So realize sometimes wounds are necessary. The reason I bring this up is because, I just want to say this before we jump to the next point. There's a possibility that some of us, either watching or here, you've been wounded at some point in time in the church, but that wound was done out of discipline. And it's a good possibility that maybe you've let it fester because it made you angry or you didn't like it. Some of the ways these manifest themselves, and I just want to say this real quick, some of the ways these manifest themselves is when the church makes a decision that you don't like and you take it as a personal insult to yourself. And you carry a wound, like, how dare you do that? Because that's not what I wanted. Can I just encourage you with something just real quick? When decisions are made in the church, like at any level of the church, the reason those decisions should be made are to do what's best to glorify God. We can't take it personal. But the enemy wants us to take it personal. He wants us to find reasons to be offended. He wants us to find reasons to be angry. He wants us to find reasons to not have trust. Remember, we talked about this last week. And one of the ways he'll do that is he will use wounds of discipline and wounds of accountability to do it. And we have to be aware of that. So we have to pay attention. So I just wanted to hit on that, talk a little bit about, you know, again, discipline, accountability in the church. Now, let's jump into a few things just real quick on uh, what are ways that we should respond. So when someone wounds us, how do we imitate Jesus then? What do we do to imitate Jesus? So the first one I want to talk about is we need to choose to voluntarily love one another, right? We as the church must choose to voluntarily love one another. So let's talk about this for a moment. Jesus, we're going to go take this all back to Jesus. Here's Jesus. He, he knows his life is about to end. He knows his ministry is coming to an end. He's sitting there with his disciples. He knows that he is soon going to be arrested, He knows that he's going to be beaten, he's going to be crucified, but he also knows that all of these men that he would call his closest friends, in just a few short hours, were going to abandon him. That's a wound that many of us might feel in our own lives. Someone close to us that we feel abandoned by, even in the church, when I needed you the most, you weren't there. Jesus felt that. He experienced that. Everyone he called his closest friends abandoned him at that last minute. Notice what it says that Jesus did. John chapter 13, it says, It was before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
You hear what Jesus' response was? I'm going to love you to the end. I know you're about to hurt me. I know you're about to wound me. But I'm choosing to love you. Notice what it goes on and it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Notice what Jesus does. Jesus voluntarily loves the men that are about to wound him. And he does it by lowering himself below them and washing their feet. Now, I want you to get this image if you've never really thought about this or you forget about this. Not only did Jesus wash the men's feet that abandoned him, Jesus also washes the feet of the man who betrays him. Jesus washed Judas's feet too. The greatest betrayal that has ever happened on this planet, Jesus washed his feet. He voluntarily washed his feet. The man that wounded him the most. But I want you to see, how was Jesus able to voluntarily love one another? How did he do it? Notice what John included. John, John says something here that you can't jump over. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. Let me give you why Jesus was able to voluntarily love the men that betrayed him and the men that abandoned him. It's because first off, Jesus knew what his mission was. Jesus knew that all all power, that that all things were under his power. He knew the mission. The mission was for him to come and to die and to to be uh, risen again to save us and to destroy the curse and to destroy darkness and to destroy sin. Jesus knew what the mission was. But not only that, Jesus knew what his identity was. It says Jesus knew that he had come from the Father. Jesus knew his identity. He knew his mission. He knew his identity. The third thing Jesus knew is it said he, he knew that he was returning to God. Jesus knew where he was going. Now, why is that important for us? Because whenever we get wounded, whenever we get hurt, especially in the church, it's interesting how the first three things that we forget are the three things that Jesus knew. When a wound happens, we like to sulk in the wound and we forget the mission. We forget the reason and the purpose that God created us and said we want to set and sulk in the wound. We want to give up and we want to focus just on the wound and the hurt and what's not fair. And that's where we end up spending all of our time instead of focusing on the mission. The second thing is we forget our identity. We forget that we are children of God. You are a child of the King. You are born and uh, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are born again and filled with the Spirit. We forget that. Instead, we focus on all the bad stuff. We focus on all the things that maybe somebody said about us or think about us or have done to us. And we start believing that truth instead of the truth of who we are in Jesus. And the last thing we forget is we forget where we're going. And here's what I mean by that. Paul tells us something extremely important in Scripture. He says, listen, you take all the hurts, all the wounds, all the bad stuff that you go through in life, you pile it up in one one side of the scale, and when you step into glory one second in the presence of Jesus, none of that matters. He's like, you forget where you're heading. We start sulking in the now, and we start getting frustrated with the now, and we want to wallow in the hurts of the now, and instead, Jesus is telling us through his life, he's like, no, pay attention. 
Keep your focus on the mission. Keep your focus on your identity and never lose sight of where you're going. Because the hurts of this world will mean nothing in the presence of Jesus. That's why Jesus was able to love, voluntarily love one another. Here's the second thing we learn from Jesus when we're hurt. Imitating God. We need to aggressively pray for one another. All right? So let's kind of paint the scene here again. Here's Jesus. He's talking to Peter. Jesus tells them, I, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem and this is going to happen. And Peter, Peter's prideful and Peter's mouth gets in the way. And Peter was like, I'll never deny you, Jesus. I will be with you. You know, Jesus, you know Peter's trying to say, Jesus, you can always count on me. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus knew that there was going to be a moment where not only was Peter going to abandon him, but Jesus knew there was going to be a moment where Peter was going to deny him three times. Three times Peter was going to have the opportunity to stand up for Jesus, and three times he was going to deny Jesus. And Jesus knew there was going to be a moment when that happened, that Jesus was going to look at Peter, and Peter was going to look at Jesus... Because we don't realize that from Scripture, that when this happened, they were in a place where Peter could see Jesus off in the distance as this was happening. And when the rooster crowed the third time, Peter remembered, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. You're going to be sifted like wheat. You're going to deny me. That's a wound that Jesus carried. Peter, you said you were going to be with me through everything. You were going to die for me, Peter. But you denied me three times. And you looked me in the face and did it. But Jesus says, Peter, I have pleaded in prayer for you. Peter, I have gone to war for you. I have gone to spiritual war for you and your faith, Peter. I have fought for you, even in the midst of the wound. Hear me for a moment when we think about this for a ch- as the church. Church, if we are not actively praying for one another, then we're going to lose. You hear me on that? We're going to lose if we're not actively praying for one another. And if there is someone that has wounded you or hurt you or someone that, or whatever, it's in the past, it's happening now, you need to be aggressively praying for that person. And I don't mean the judgment prayer. I mean the prayer for their faith. Lord, I'm praying and interceding for their faith. Strengthen them, Lord. Let them see and know you deeper and in a passionate way, Lord. Let them see the things that they're doing and the hurt that it's causing, Lord, because I love them and I care for them because they're part of your church. Here's what we learn about Jesus in this moment. Jesus was more concerned with Peter than he was with harboring the hurt. You see that, right? Peter, you're going you're gonna to hurt me. You're going to wound me. But Peter, you're more important than the wound. And I've prayed for you. I've pleaded for you. I've fought for you. And I'm still fighting for you. Church, we need to be fighting for one another in prayer. Especially those that maybe have hurt us or wounded us. Here's the last one. Well, actually, I think i got two more. Huh, notice that. We need to proactively forgive each other. Okay? 
Proactively forgive each other. So let's jump into this imitating Jesus again and think about this. So here's the wound. Jesus has been falsely accused. Jesus has been mocked. Jesus has been beaten. He's been spit upon. He's been whipped. He's currently on the cross. He's dying for the sins of mankind. While he's on the cross, he's looking down at individuals making fun of him and, and calling him all, all just nasty stuff you can't even imagine. He sees hatred in their eyes. And Jesus utters these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. What do we learn from Jesus? How do we imitate God when it comes to this? Notice that Jesus offered forgiveness before forgiveness was asked for. No one was there asking Jesus for forgiveness other than a thief on a cross. The rest of the crowd was not seeking forgiveness, but yet Jesus offered forgiveness. No one asked for it, but Jesus offered it. Church, when you are wounded, when you are hurt, we need to imitate God by offering forgiveness before it's asked for. We need to extend forgiveness before it's asked for. This is what God did for you. This is what God did for me. This is what we do for one another. Here's the last one. We need to eagerly restore one another. Now, Here's what I mean by this. Uh, maybe you guys can relate to this. Uh, have you ever had those moments where you've had a, a falling out with someone that you were close with? In the church, outside of the church, but you think about this in the church, a falling out with somebody, maybe something happened, a fight happened, a, a disagreement happened, something happened where you are no longer close to that person like you were before. Uh, in some way, the, the relationship has been damaged. Um, here's the thing. We can forgive one another. We can move on from that. But have you ever had those situations where the, the, the relationship's been damaged and now all that's there is just the awkwardness? You know what I mean by the awkwardness? Like when you used to see each other, you'd be like, hey, how's it going? Now the awkwardness is of like, do I say hi first or do they say hi first? Like, do they want to talk to me? Are they possibly still mad at me? Right? You know, the awkwardness where it's like, man, I wish it was like what it used to be, but I just don't feel like we'll ever get to that place again. Right? The awkwardness. Can I tell you right now, I believe this from my own life and I've seen it over and over and over again. I have seen more relationships in the church that have ended, not because of the wounds that happened, but because of the awkwardness that they didn't know how to get over. Because it was just awkward. Right? It was just awkward. Let's see this from Jesus' life, just for a moment. Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He's appeared to the, to the apostles. They've seen him. They know he's alive. And then all of a sudden, Peter does something. Peter, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, says, hey, let's go fishing. Here's the thing. I can't prove this, but I really think Peter was tempted to going back to his old way of life. I think Peter was tempted to go back to being a fisherman. Because here's the thing. I don't think there was ever a conversation yet between Jesus and Peter. Right? Peter denied him. Jesus knew that he denied him. Peter knew that Jesus knew. There was an awkwardness. They never sat down and had a conversation yet. So I think Peter was living for a couple of weeks with this awkwardness. He was just like, does Jesus really want me anymore? Did I screw up and I'll never be able to, you know, does he? I think Peter was, it was an awkward situation. All of a sudden, Peter says, hey, let's go fishing. So I think Peter was like, hey, I'm going to go back to my life of being a fisherman. And he goes and he gets on the boat, and he's with his, some of the other apostles, and Jesus appears. 
And we read that Jesus comes and Peter can't recognize him. And he says, hey, throw the, the nets on the other side. And they catch this big fish, or big uh, catch of fish. And then Peter recognizes that that was Jesus. And Peter jumps out of the boat excited. I, I think Peter still loved Jesus with a passion. And he jumped out of the boat and he swam to Jesus. And then we have this conversation between Jesus and Peter. I think there was this intimate moment where they had, and Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, you know I love you. And Jesus said, great, feed my sheep. And then Jesus looks at him again and said, Peter, do you love me? And, Jesus, and Peter's like, yeah, you know I love you. And he's like, great, take care of my lambs. And then Jesus says a third time, he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And, and the Bible says that Peter was hurt by this. He was wounded. It says Peter was hurt. And he looked at Jesus and he said, yes, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, okay, then feed my sheep. And then Jesus says a couple other things to Peter, and then he says this. He ends it with this. He says, follow me. Jesus restored the relationship with Peter by asking him three times, do you love me? And then by saying, follow me. What was Jesus saying when he said, follow me? He was telling Peter, Peter, I'm inviting you back into intimacy with me. Let's get rid of the awkwardness, Peter. I eagerly want to restore the relationship. He said to Peter, let's continue doing life together. Follow me. What does this mean for us? Whenever wounds happen and the, the relationship has been damaged and God has brought healing to a point, but there's still that awkwardness, we need to be eager to restore one another. Meaning, we need to take the steps to restore the relationship back to what God wants it to be. That could be as simple as us calling a person up and saying, hey, I know it's been a long time, but I miss when we used to go have coffee together. Let's go have some coffee together. Man, remember when we used to do this together? I have missed that, and I desperately want to go do it again. Small groups are starting up. It could be as simple as calling a person that you have that awkwardness with and saying, you know what, it's been a while. Man, let's do the small group together because I want to do life with you. I want to restore the relationship. I'm open to do that. We need to be eager to restore one another. Now, here's the thing. Before we get ready for communion, the Bible tells us that we have been given a very important ministry. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks about this in the letter to uh, Corinth, he says, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to reconcile the world to God. Hear me on this, and then we're going to prepare for communion. We as the church cannot effectively go out into the world and fulfill our ministry of reconciliation if we struggle to do it right here inside of the church. If we are not actively working to bring reconciliation in our own relationships with one another, how will we ever be able to go out and effectively preach a message of reconciliation to the world? And so this is why we have to be eager to restore one another and to say, let's do life together. Even though there's a wound or a hurt, let's do life together. If you want to take your elements for communion and get those ready. As I want to share one last scripture with you um, as we prepare for this. 
But in Ephesians again, this is Ephesians chapter 4. This is when Paul starts talking about the church. So Paul, he's made the transition, and in chapter 4, he's talking about the church. And right off the bat, notice what Paul says in in chapter 4, verse 3. He says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Did you hear that? Hear what he says again. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. That's the calling to us as the church. We are all called to make every effort to keep ourselves united in the Spirit. He goes on and says, says, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. We are called to make every effort. So I want to take just a minute, and I want you to prepare your hearts for communion. And I want us to really pray, Lord, Lord, what, is, what do I have to do? What is it that I have to do to make every effort to keep us united in the Spirit? Maybe there's a relationship that you need to consider fixing and restoring and forgiveness. Maybe there's a relationship you know about, and you can be the one to be praying for that and, and trying to help and intercede. But we are called to be united. Let's take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, how do I need to do, what do I need to do to make every effort to keep us united? Let's take a minute and do that. Lord Jesus, I pray that you use our wounds. Lord, I know they're there. I have them. I still carry wounds. Lord, I pray that you use our wounds to bring glory to yourself. I pray you use our wounds to uh, unite us. I pray you use our wounds to uh, transform us into the image of Jesus. Let us see them as ways to be imitators of you. Let us see them as ways to, to live the gospel out together, Lord. I pray that our wounds not be used to destroy us, but they use them, that you use them for the good that you can to further your kingdom, to further the church to unite us together and bind us together. Lord, as we partake of, the com- of communion today, let us remember that the table was the place that you restored the relationship. You chose to love us. You interceded for us. You were eager to restore the relationship. You forgave us even before we asked for it. That is the message of the table. Your body that was broken, your blood that was shed so that we could be restored into a relationship with you. By your wounds, we are healed. What an amazing truth. And Lord, let us realize that by the wounds that we carry, you can still bring healing. And you can unite your church in a powerful way that the enemy can never overcome. Lord, as we partake, fill us with that truth and fill us with that grace. In your name we pray, amen. So as we partake of your your bread, remember, again, this is the body broken for you. Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body giving you access to the Father. And I choose to do it for you. So let's partake of the bread together. It says, Jesus then took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you, the blood of the new covenant. This blood, I mean, just think about this as in our wound series. This blood was not only shed for your sins, but this blood was also shed for the sins that have been committed against you. Think about that. Jesus paid the penalty for the people that have wounded you. What an amazing truth. So let's partake together of the cup and the blood of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we pray to go. I pray a blessing upon us. 
May your spirit pour out into our lives. Lord, give us supernatural strength for this next week. Lord, it's already been said, many people are tired and overwhelmed. Pour out your strength into us so that we can minister effectively, that we can be there for those in need, and that you can, we can do it for your glory. Lord, help us through the power of your spirit to love one another, to intercede and pray for one another, to forgive, Lord, and to be united together. Bind us in a supernatural way by the spirit of God. We pray this blessing upon us in your name. Amen. Go in peace.